the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Today's guest, Warrant Officer Ali Kurji, CD, Finance NCO of the Royal Regiment of Canada. I can definitely say that when I joined, clerks weren't looked at in the same fashion as infantiers or other combat arms trades because we were just clerks. We were just paper pushers and whatnot, and people didn't have that respect for clerks. But I think over time, the clerk trade or the, the resource management support trade has developed and evolved into, into a very critical and crucial trade because people realize that without the administrative or financial professionals behind a soldier, no one's getting paid, no one's getting fed, no one's getting their will redone, no one's getting any of the benefits that they need. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Boy, it feels like an eternity since I've said that, and it has been very busy. My last episode came out somewhere probably around the summertime of 2016, and my last recording was also around September of 2016. So what's been keeping me away from the microphone? Well, my transition to the Toronto Scottish has been very busy, very busy times, all good things. We had the change in appointment of Regimental Sergeant Major, followed by the change in appointment of Honorary Lieutenant Colonel. So we welcomed Chief Warrant Officer Brian James and Honorary Lieutenant Colonel Justin Fogarty into the Toronto Scottish Regiment, into the Regimental family. So those were major events, and then I got nominated and accepted into the committee for the 2017 Toronto Garrison Ball. That's been keeping me busy between September of 2016 and February of 2017. Lots of military events, lots of purchasing. I'm the purchaser for the Toronto Scottish Regiment. I purchase all the regimental items, getting to know vendors, getting to know what those items cost and how to go about purchasing them and which government paycheck pays for what what comes out of non-public funds, what comes out of public funds, a steep learning curve. And speaking of learning curve, I don't know how often I'll be able to get back to the microphone. I do plan on continuing to produce this podcast whenever I have a chance. However, my next step is going to be on the ATOC, the Army Tactical Operations Course, followed by the AOC, which will start in September and take me all the way through till June. So AOC is the stepping stone, natural stepping stone in the Army to the rank of Major from the rank of Captain, and it is a very busy course. Lots of military reading, lots of studying, lots of producing written work. So my computer time may be consumed by AOC next year between September of 2017 and June of 2018. Nevertheless, I do have some guests lined up. It's just a matter of having an opportunity to record. I may find some time to record some good episodes while I'm away at the Vimy 100 celebration. I'm leaving in just a few days. Right now it's March 2017, so my wife and I have been planning this trip for more than 20 years. We've been saving up to go to the 100th anniversary commemoration of the Battle of Vimy Ridge. We're part of a tour group. Hopefully while I'm out and about and I have some spare time, I can grab a recorder and record some episodes on the fly. Hopefully the quality is what you would come to expect. One of the things that has also been keeping me away from the microphone, it's been a bit of a hesitation on my part, is that my website provider has insisted I update to their latest product. 
And by doing that, I've had to spend pretty much the whole day today updating the web page and reformatting things, adding images, adding links, recovering all my previous journal entries, recovering all the previous episodes, inserting them into the new web page. And one of the things that I've had to sacrifice, well, a few things. I've had to sacrifice the Amazon link and the PayPal link, as well as the Google AdSense, simply because they were holding me back rather than producing anything. And I wasn't really generating a lot of income off those in order to help support the show. So I've decided to take them off. Also, when I approached the board and citizen of doing an article on the podcast, they declined because I had advertising on my website. So now that I've removed the advertising from my website, hopefully the board and citizen will be able to do an article on the show. And the reason I want the board and citizen to do an article on the show is simply because Base Borden, CFB Borden, is basically the home to almost every trade. We have the Canadian Forces Logistics School there. We have the Canadian Forces Medical School there. We have the Remy School there. We have the Air Force that does training there. We have the Navy that does training there. The Military Police School is there. It's basically ground zero for a lot of military training. And if I could get an article published in the Borden Citizen, if my sacrifices, I have to take the ads off my webpage for them to do an article, then maybe that's the price I have to pay. And it's not that much of a big loss because I do thank those people that did provide a PayPal donation to the show and I do thank those people that went to my Amazon link and used my Amazon link to bring some funds to the show to help produce the show. However, I really wasn't generating a lot of income off those sources. So it's not really a huge, huge loss to give up those links and when I'm reformatting that page. The other big loss is the guest book. I've tried to add the guest book back in, bring it around, and I'm just ending up with roadblock after roadblock after roadblock trying to get this guest book back into it. So I'm going to have to pause on the guest book for now, but unfortunately, all the great comments are going to be gone as soon as I close this web page that I preserved from my former site. So that would be a loss. Hopefully I do get a new guestbook started up. I have tried some plugins to try and get a guestbook fired up. Hey, if you're the type of person that knows what the solution is for this, how to get a quick plugin on the guestbook, please do reach out to me, cmhp at gmail.com. I'd be very happy to hear your advice. Before I do close out these guestbook comments, I will read the last few on the site. So we have Lucy from September 12th, 2016. She's says, love these podcasts. Each story I hear is more interesting than the last one. I love that your questions are simple and yet when answered by each member of the Canadian Armed Forces, the listener gets to hear an amazing story. I listen to them every chance I get, whether it's on the train or while walking to work in the morning. Can't wait to see what new interviews you will be sharing. Well, Lucy, I do plan on getting some new interviews and I do plan on some exciting guests. All my guests are exciting. However, I do have a plan for the future. It's just a matter of finding the time to make it work. Janet Condy of the Toronto Scottish Regiment on October 4th, 2016 says, Great work, Mike. I am enjoying listening. Keep them coming. I will. I just have to find the time. Rob Latimer said on October 20th, 2016, Mike, I should have joined the Reg Force when I graduated high school in Alberta in 1983. I was an Army cadet for numerous years and had my sights set on joining, but I was convinced otherwise by my parents. Instead, I spent a short time in the militia Edmonton in 1986-87, BMT, Basic Military Training, part-time, and stayed connected with my friends that did serve. I'm a keen follower of Canadian military history and focused time learning more about our Cold War years. From your interview with Stony Burke, I downloaded and read his Amazon book. Nice promote here. 
I've enjoyed the podcast and have listened to about 20 of them in the past two and a half months. Super job. Keep up the great work. Love your sense of humor. Great. Thanks, Rob. I do appreciate the comments, Rob, Janet, and Lucy. And I do have to find a way to get the guest book back on. Also, I appreciate the Facebook likes and the Facebook comments people have been leaving. It reminds me that there are listeners out there waiting for a new episode, and I do want to get you those new episodes. I don't want to leave you hanging for months and months and months. One of the things that makes a podcast successful is having a schedule that people can follow, that listeners can follow, and I haven't lived up to that expectation. Nevertheless, I do plan on providing you with some more guests. I have some guests lined up. It's just a matter of finding time to record. Hopefully on my trip to Vimy, I can do some impromptu interviews and get you some great guests on the fly. So, the webpage has been updated. I'm heading to Vimy. I do have courses in front of me, military courses that are ahead of me, and that is basically the biggest update right there. Today's guest is Warrant Officer Ali Herji. Now, I have to basically do a little bit of an explanation. So, like the episode with Sergeant Chris Murdy, Ali Herji is substantively a Warrant Officer. However, day-to-day, he wears the rank of a sergeant, and that is because he's employed full-time and we are no longer authorized in the Army Reserve to overrank for a position. So in the past, we were permitted to have someone doing a job in a role and they would wear the rank that they were substantively holding and do a job of a lower rank. So Ali Herji is substantively a warrant officer. He's qualified warrant officer. However, he holds the appointment of finance NCO for his unit, the Royal Regiment of Canada out of Fort York Armory. And because that full-time job holds a high rank of sergeant, a low rank of master corporal, he has to take down his crown, wear the rank of sergeant while he holds that post. Now, Ali Herji could wear the rank of warrant officer if he decided to transfer to, for example, the service battalion, and he held the appointment of troop warrant in the service battalion, then of course he could wear the rank of warrant officer. If he was appointed to brigade or higher headquarters, then there are warrant officer positions for admin clerks at those levels. But within the unit lines of the Royal Regiment of Canada, there is no warrant officer line serial for a finance clerk. Therefore, Ali Herji has to wear the rank of sergeant while he's employed in that position. But he is substantively a warrant officer. So, as in the episode with Chris Murdy, I have offered Chris Murdy the opportunity to be addressed as sergeant or warrant officer. He chose sergeant. And in this episode, I have offered that same courtesy to Ali Herji, and he has chosen to be addressed as warrant officer, which is why some of the pictures will show him as a sergeant, even though they were taken later, and he is addressed as a warrant officer. Hopefully that explanation makes sense. I understand it. <laughs> so here's my interview with Warrant Officer Ali Herji. Warrant Officer Herji, welcome to the podcast. Mike, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you online. Absolutely. Ali, you and I first met during the military co-op program at Fort York Armory in 1995. And that was an established program for us in the military where we would have high school students come, do their basic training, learn how to be a soldier, get their feet wet in the military culture in order to earn high school credits. And I remember very specifically that myself and Anthony Jones tried very hard to convince you to join the infantry, but you stayed loyal to your core of administration and logistics. Indeed, I did, Mike. That was an interesting time getting into something I didn't really know about. I did join the high school co-op program in 1995 from my high school, Monarch Park Collegiate. And to be honest with you, it was a good time. Our course definitely stuck together. We made it through and ultimately only two of us are left out of that whole program. So Really? Who's that? There's Tom Rodzowitz, I believe he was an MP. He might actually be out. I see. And Mike Heffernan, a tour guide, I think he's still out. Yeah, that's right. 
doing his his gig. But those we're the only two uh, that are left out of my course here, anyways. Yeah, he transferred over to the regular force, and I remember recruiting him. Yep. It was a high school on Bathurst, right near across the street from Honest Ed's. I can remember passing it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, had yeah. his long black trench coat and his long black <laughs> hair, and I'm thinking. Oh boy, they really want this guy to join the army. And you know what? He turned out to be a great soldier, good heart, is very well motivated, great team player, and could not have had the most incorrect first impression. Indeed, and now he's off to the right force. So he was definitely helpful during his time at Brigade, and it was good to see he and I uh, were the only two in Toronto anyways that were still around from that course. Right. Well, I sent you the questions in advance, so are you all set for the questions? I'm ready to go. So we already talked about your recruit program. So why did you choose to join the Canadian Armed Forces and specifically the high school co-op program? So, Mike, I mean, I don't have any family background in the military. None of my immediate family has any connection to law enforcement. But at that time in my life, keeping in mind I was 18 and in high school, I was looking to do something in the law enforcement field. My goal at that time was to get myself ready to apply for a police department, Toronto Police. And when I had approached my guidance counselor at the high school with my intentions of filling the one position that the co-op program had at that time with Toronto Police, I was told that that position was full. And the guidance counselor at the time handed me this flyer about joining the Canadian Forces or the Canadian Reserves. And Mike, I had no clue of what that was about. What the, I didn't even know we had a military at that point, to be honest with you. And I said, sure, it sounds like a good gig. I'll join up and we're off to the races. Next thing you know, I'm at CFRC in Toronto, writing my tests, going through interviews and being told that, yeah, you made it through and your course starts in about a month and a half. I think that was in November when I did my tests and the course started in February of 1995. Right. And Mike, I'm not even kidding you. When I got to the armory on day one, it was culture shock like you would not believe. I had no clue that I had actually joined the army. I was being issued with uniforms. I remember going home on a Thursday night with almost five bags full of kit that I had no clue what to do with. And, and, I, and Likely I, on the streetcar, right? It was on the streetcar. I was on the bus taken home. I got home trying to sort out, trying to come to grips with what I've done, trying to make sure that this was the right decision for me. Am I going to go through with this? And the next day, there I was at Fort York Armory getting yelled at by Master Gopal Lacroix at the time, Warren Officer Jones, and a whole host of other instructors that we had. And... Day one was a very, very tough day because I had a decision to make that day. Am I going to carry on with this or am I going to go find another co-op program? And thankfully, with some of the friends that I had from the high school that I was with, I ended up sticking through it and passing the recruit course and going on to do further training in my trade, which is uh, administration finance. What was the world like when you joined? So, Mike, that was probably the toughest question that you had on your sheet because I was I was 18 years old. <laughs> I had no clue, no clue what the world was like. So last night while I was preparing for this interview, I actually Googled what the world was like in 1995. And I think to summarize, in my words, what the world was like, I'd say payphones and pagers were the thing back then. Right. The debut of the DVD that was brand new. Jean Chrétien was a prime minister. Clinton was a president. The OJ trial was in full swing. <laughs> I remember, yeah. Exactly. And in terms of army life, it was four years after the Gulf War that I joined, six years before 9-11. The Bosnia tours were starting up. That year, the Airborne Regiment was disbanded. To quote General Hillier, the, the Canadian Forces was in a decade of darkness. I distinctly remember my being told not to wear my uniform in public. I needed to change in the armories before I left to get on the streetcar to go home. And that continued for about a year or two after the BMP, after the recruit course. So it was a definitely a very difficult time 
for those in the military at that time. And being 18, listen, my main concern at that time was going out with my friends, hanging out. I was driving for two years and my life was really about me at that time and what the world was like. I really, frankly, didn't care. But looking back, just to see where we came from, where we are today, the internet was new at that time. I remember distinctly in the military having paper messages come through the mail system. Right. You'd have to wait for a week or two till that letter arrives on your desk and then another week or two before you can get an answer back because <laughs> of all the mail traffic. The pay system was on paper, so we as reservists are used to the electronic pay system. You sign a pay sheet, someone inputs it, and you get paid. Whereas back then, it was a paper pay system, so everything had to be done manually. Reports had to be sent to Ottawa, and pay was delayed, pay was incorrect, pay would never make it. It was done in pencil. It was done in pencil. <laughs> on these big 11 by 17 ledgers that I still have upstairs to look at. Like, I mean, it was a very, very difficult time. I remember when I came in to the orderly room where I work now full time, the email system back then was very, very new. We'd get the odd message for security or safety issues. Anything priority would come through an electronic mail system at the time. But looking back to where we started as an organization and where we are today in terms of how technology has impacted everyday movements of troops, it, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. So you touched a little bit on what you were like when you joined. Is there anything else you want to flush out about what you were like as a brand new recruit? I mean, like I said, I was 18 when I joined. I remember the course party not being able to drink because the drinking <laughs> age is 19. I, literally, I, I wasn't able to drink. I was driving for two years officially. I was a teenager. I was into partying, going out with my friends camping, working the odd job here and there. I, when I had hair, my hairstyle was fantastic and hairspray <laughs> was plenty in my cabinet. But there were things that kept me grounded in terms of being a youth counselor for my community, volunteering within my community. I was involved in the scouting program at a very young age and I stuck through that for about 10 or 15 years through my life. That was a big part of it. At the time, I hardly made my bed. Ironing my clothes was nothing. And all that has changed because of the work that I do and my involvement with the Canadian Forces and the, and the qualities and, and skill sets that you learn. It sort of makes you a better person. So for me, when I joined, I'm a completely different person now than I was back then. And I remember you having a good sense of humor and it didn't matter what type of nonsense that was going on. It just yeah. fell off your back. Like it didn't matter. You had a good sense of humor. It's not that you were aloof or you didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. You did care. You put some effort into your work, but you always had that good sense of humor, good cheer, and we couldn't get you upset. We couldn't break you. You just always were so upbeat. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Mike, and, I, and, and I'll touch upon this later in our conversation, but I definitely do look at the positive things. I mean, negativity is always there. You can sit there, you can dwell upon it, you can be upset about it, but in the line of work that you do in your civilian life and uh, the line of work that you do in your Army life, and the same thing with me in the Army life, you got to look at the positive of all the situations and, and that keeps yourself motivated, that keeps your troops motivated and it doesn't show any weakness. And I think that for me was instilled in me at a very young age is just look at the positive, keep going forward, don't look backwards and just make sure your people are taken care of. Right. And I think for me that was a big thing and that sort of transcended throughout my entire career in the CF. Absolutely. So speaking about your entire career in the CF, what is your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement? Being in for 22 years, almost full time, you have a lot of things that you sort of go through, exercises, training, people you meet. But I think the most, and I have two things that I want to touch upon, the most memorable experiences that I had were being involved in high profile visits with the Canadian Forces specifically talking about the presentation of colors in 2009 with the Toronto Scottish Regiment and the Royal Regiment of Canada, and we had His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales down at Varsity Stadium. My role in that started off very small as a member of the committee, but as time 
sort of evolved. I became deeply involved in the background logistic activities of that visit, dealing with the city, the province, the federal government, RCMP, the prime minister's office, Clarence House, you name it. So for me, getting involved at that level at the rank that I was, was a memorable experience because you get to see a lot, you get to learn a lot, and you're involved and you can see a project run from the background up until the time the colors were presented, the reception, and all the way through right up until the end. And the same thing goes with the visit of the prince and the prime minister back in 2012. Here at the armory, our home, when they had come down to visit for the military muster, again, I was involved deeply in the logistics with that behind the scenes. And it was a great learning experience and it's something that I probably won't ever forget. Yeah, for the presentation of Colors Parade, I distinctly remember you being focused on the background while I'm focusing on what the public is going to see. You're focusing more on what the public isn't going to see. But I remember working with you on that event and because we had previously worked together in a different part of our careers, we were able to communicate very freely and make sure that we knew what each one was doing so that something in background didn't affect something that the public was going to see or something on the parade side didn't affect adversely something that needed to be done in the background. So it was a good chance to work together again in a completely different role, not as instructor and student, but more as partner to make an event a success. 100%. And the the fact that those two prominent regiments of Toronto getting their colors that same day, it was my, in the back of my mind, the main thing I wanted to do is make sure the regiments, both of them and the Canadian forces, look like professional organizations when members of the public come to see this event happening for free at Varsity Stadium. I wanted to make sure personally that everyone there had a good time. They were all welcome. They were all treated with respect. Their experience was phenomenal. I wanted everyone leaving there with a good taste in their mouth. And I think together with all the people on the team, we I think we made that happen for sure. Absolutely. So you said there was something else that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, 100%. The other memorable experience or experiences I had was, was obviously the deployments that I've been on. I've been to Op Danica, which was on the Israeli-Syria border. I've been to Op Agrol, which is the mission in Ethiopia supporting the African Union. And the most recent tour I've been on was Op Athena with Task Force 110. I mean, each one of those was unique because of, A, the area they were in and the people that you work with. And very briefly, the Op Danica tour in Israel, Syria, two things stick out in my mind. One was location, which was right on the border of Israel and Syria. And the only people that could really cross that crossing were members of the United Nations. And that included the soldiers that were on the camp. And that included the Canadians, including me. So being able to cross from Israel to Syria with very little difficulty, for me, that was an eye-opener where the only few people on the earth that could cross that crossing. So despite your name and your appearance, you were able to travel freely? That didn't hinder you? That was my biggest worry when I deployed to Op Danica because we were on the Israeli side of the border. In the back of your mind, you're always worried about your own safety. And my name being Ali, my last name being Herji, the fact that at that time I had a Arabic tattoo on my right arm. Those things were definitely in the back of my mind in terms of would I be secure, would I be safe in that environment. And Mike, I'll be honest with you, no one in Israel cared. No one in Israel that I encountered cared the fact that my first name's Ali or that I had an Arabic tattoo. Once they found out that we were Canadians, we were treated with the utmost respect and they welcomed us into their homes. So for me, it was definitely an eye-opener to see what the world was really like versus what you hear on the media and what the people of those different countries are like when you actually go there and sit with them and talk to them and figure out what's important to them. It's the same thing that's important to me, safety, security, and just leading a happy life. For me, that was an eye-opener. The other small tidbit that I want to add about the 
Britannica tour was, again, we were, the location was the border of Israel and Syria. And thankfully, we were over there during the holiday period, over Christmas and New Year's. And I had the opportunity to attend some religious ceremonies in churches in Israel during the Christmas time frame. So for me, that was very eye-opening. It was a great experience to see that and be there during the Christmas period. One of my co-workers, we had two ladies working in the office. And another thing that sticks out of my mind for that tour was during the Christmas time, we had two Jewish ladies, a Muslim guy myself, putting up a Christmas tree in the Canadian office. When you see that happening and you look at the photo of that taking place in Israel, you're like, that's the world that we live in. Everyone just wants to be happy and live their lives and not to deal with any of the drama that's going on surrounding them. Now, was your Christmas tree delivered by Colonel Dwayne Hobbs? <laughs> oh, no, no, not, not that one, not, not that one, not that one. So was there something you remember from your other deployments that makes it part of your most memorable experience? 100%. In terms of being in Ethiopia, my family was born in Africa. So my parents were born in Tanzania, and I had never got the opportunity to go to see what Africa was like. So signing up or, or volunteering for the uh, the tour in Ethiopia was it wasn't a, a hard decision to do. The position came up. I put my hand up, and I and I had a chance to deploy to Ethiopia to see what a developing country is like and see the environment or, or similar environment to what my parents would have experienced when they were growing up. To see the people, to see the lifestyle. For me, that was an eye opener, and it was a really positive experience to go and see that and to make a difference while I was there. And mind you, I was only there for 30 days, but for the 30 days I was there, I'm pretty sure I made an impact. Impact and it definitely, that tour made an impact on me. Yeah. Well, there's a very old British Army expression that says you can take the soldier out of Africa, but you'll never take Africa out of the soldier. Exactly. And you being deployed there would know that for sure. Absolutely. 100%. And Apathena? Apathena, I mean, again, that was a last minute position that came up to go and fill in for someone that was going on leave for about 30 days. And that 30 day tour turned into almost uh, an over 100 day tour. But for me, deploying on Task Force 110 with members of my regiment that had deployed there with the battle groups that were there was the highlight of being there. So going to serve with the guys that I served with in the armory in an overseas deployment made me being there that much better. I distinctly remember our first week getting together all the royals at the Canada House and taking a picture because we'd never know when everyone would be on the camp at the same time. Right. So to have that photo and have that memory of all of us on the camp at the same time, that's something that definitely sticks out in my mind. Right. Well, I'm surprised you didn't talk about another great achievement because I do recall you being appointed as the commander of the CFRC in Toronto. <laughs> I don't know how you remember that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big one. Yeah, back in my very, very first job with the Canadian Forces was a, a file manager at CFRC in Toronto. And one of the honors that the CEO of the day there had given me was being the CEO of the day. And uh, with that, I received a, a certificate, which I still have in my office, reminding me of that day. And, and I had the chance of giving everyone the day off. And as a private with almost seven months in, giving captains and other senior NCOs the day off was like, it was quite the honor to do that. Absolutely. So I'm, you dug that out of a very, very deep hole there, Mike. <laughs> so let's move on. Who is your greatest influence or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered during your service? So I have three people that I want to mention, two of which I'll group into the same group. So the first and foremost, I'm sure you know, is Anthony Jones. I definitely want to give him the shout out for doing what he did for me. Warren Officer Jones or MWO Jones now with 1RCR left the Royal Regiment of Canada as a warrant officer. He was our course warrant during our recruit course here at Fort York Armory with a co-op program. Right. And from the day that I met him, I was observing the way that he spoke, the way that he interacted with people, the way that he interacted with other recruits. To see the level of respect that that man had 
on the parade square was phenomenal. He was always sharply dressed. His uniforms were pressed. His boots were polished. He knows how to motivate you. He also knows how to mentor you. His priority of making the regiment and soldiers that much better was something that I admired and something that I've tried to emulate since day one. So Anthony's a very close friend of mine. He's uh, I consider him a mentor. And if I have any issues that I can't deal with or any questions that come up, I still give him a call and ask for his advice. And he's someone that tells it like it is. He's a very honest and loyal person, and that's something I respect of him. And he had a great, great impact on my life. Something he told me a long time ago left an impact to me as well. And it has to do with the care and maintenance of uniform, and something I never really paid attention to. Mm -hmm. But when you're done ironing your pants, whether you're going to wear a suit or a uniform or whatever... Mm -hmm. And then you take those pants and you put them on a hanger right away, you end up putting a crease on your pants. And right. if you leave them for a long time, that crease suddenly shows up when you wear your pants. And it's such a small uniform detail. It's something a casual person would never think about yeah. that, no, I've ironed my pants, I put them on the hanger. But clearly when it didn't apply when I was working with the Toronto Scottish Regiment, but certainly when I moved into wearing the uniform of a police officer and wearing the uniform of the Brigade Sergeant Major or the Grain Simcoe Foresters, it was something I was always mindful of when I would iron my pants, not to have that crease going across my knees in the opposite direction. And just a small little detail, but it's sort of his world was attention to detail and that type of attention to detail, the smallest details. And the thing that always stuck with me about Anthony Jones is when he decided to component transfer to the regular force from the Royal Regiment of Canada, he did so going from warrant officer, qualified master warrant officer, to corporal. And he took it in stride. He just said, that's what I got to do. I mean, most people would just take that as an insult, but he just walked in there and decided to stick it out and take what was to come. It worked out for him in the long run. So, Exactly. Mike, I agree with you fully on those small details and small comments that you'd hear from him. And those are the things that stick with me or have stuck with me for the last 22 years is those small pieces of information little tidbits of knowledge that he sort of dropped along the way. And if you were so lucky to pick them up and keep them with you, I think those things carry a, a lot of weight and, yeah, and, and hold the test of time for sure. And I agree with that 100%. The other two individuals I'll pull into one group are two former chief clerks that I work with here at the regiment. One is Bernie Cook, and the other one is Christiane Lemire. I've seen a lot of chief clerks come and go in my unit and at a lot of other units within the brigade. And these two individuals made a very, very big impact in my life and the way that I operate in the orderly room environment. Both of them had taught me to have fun, build relationships with those that work for you, with you, or above you, and to really foster relationships with higher headquarters. At that time, I was young. I didn't really care about that. But now as you progress through the ranks and have seniority and time in, those things you look back and say, I'm glad that I did that at the time because you're able to accomplish so much when you're able to work with people and have people respect you and you respect people as well. Both of them together in their own ways made the regiment really see at the time that clerks are the backbone of all the soldiers. Mike, I can definitely say that when I joined, clerks weren't looked at in the same fashion as infanteers or other combat arms trades because we were just clerks. We were just paper pushers and whatnot, and people didn't have that respect for clerks. But I think over time, the clerk trade or the, the resource management support trade has developed and evolved into, into a very critical and crucial trade because people realize that without the administrative or financial professionals behind a soldier, no one's getting paid, no one's getting fed, no one's getting their will redone, no one's getting any of the benefits that they need. And I think they brought to the forefront that light 
to the chain of command here at the regiment. And the view of the clerks here started to evolve and sort of transcended throughout other units. And thankfully, they set a good foundation for me to carry that on. And because of those things that they've done, our clerk pool at the regiment has remained strong for the last 15 years where other units are sinking. And I'm thankful that they had come in and parted that knowledge on me and the chain of command and left that impression with the regiment. Well, one of the things that is a strength of the unit is when you do have a strong orderly room and a strong RMS support team, the CO and the DCO and the rest of the chain of command can focus on other priorities. When you have an orderly room that's falling apart at the seams, people aren't getting along, you have self-destructive personalities within that world, now the chain of command has to turn their attention away from the focus where it should be to sorting out that room. And it impacts everything else that's going on. If people aren't getting paid, if people are showing up to places without the proper documentation, and everybody ends up with egg on their face, it just just looks horrible to represent the unit. Well, Mike, don't get me wrong. I've worked with other RMS clerks throughout my career that I didn't get along with. And yes, it made the environment very, very tough. It made coming to work very tough. But sometimes you don't get to choose those you work with and you got to make do with what you have and sort of try to make the best of it. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I I can say for sure with those two individuals, Bernie Cook and Christiane Lemire, coming to work every day, I remember thoroughly enjoying it, looking forward to coming in here and just having a good time at work. And and not a lot of people can say that about going to work, for sure. Well, I remember when we were at the recruiting center, the clerk pool was a great team. You were part of that. We had June Paris in there and some others. Um, Holly White was in there and everyone got along. It was a cheerful place. Everybody looked forward to coming to work, just as you said. Oh, yeah. 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 It makes a difference. We've come to the last question. What is the greatest challenge that you've had to overcome? Running. No, I, I, as much as I feel hating, I hate it. Uh, running was definitely a big one. I, I was never a physically fit guy, and, and I have done my best to keep up and do what I have to do. But really, seriously, fitting into a foreign culture was something that was big for me and that I had to overcome. And, and like I said at the beginning of our talk, having no background in the military, no concept of the rank structure, not even knowing that Canada has a military, for me, fitting in and getting to know that culture and understanding the culture was something that I had to do and do quick in order to make sure that I do succeed in what I do. So that was a big one. The next thing that I had to deal with was sadly a bit of racism. I mean, it did exist in the time. Uh, 1995 when I joined, things were just starting to get better. Sharp training was introduced at that time. But learning to identify it and doing my best to show what I can do as a person uh, or as a soldier and not as a colored person or a colored soldier was big. And I stuck with that and I still stick to that 22 years later. I'm not worried about what color I am, what religion I am, who I'm in love with. None of that stuff worries me whatsoever, as long as I know that I'm doing a good job and doing the best that I can and the chain of command approves of the work that I do. So for me, overcoming the tail end of racism, and not to say that it doesn't exist today, I'm sure it does, but it's very different today than it was in 1995. That was a second challenge that I had to overcome. And the third one was about two years ago, I had come out to my family and my friends as being gay. And that was a big deal, but not as big of a deal as you would think. 2014, the Canadian Forces has evolved tremendously over the last 10 to 15 years. We have a new culture of acceptance and equality, and no one really cares at the end of the day who you love, as long as you are doing the best that you can and you're doing what's expected of you. And I call it a challenge. 
in my mind, it was a challenge, but at the tail end of it, on, on this side of 2016, I've realized that it wasn't a big deal. I could have done it years ago, but I'm glad that I did, and I'm glad that I have the support of really my family, my friends, my coworkers in the chain of command, and really nothing has changed. Well, I know for a fact that it really hurts me to hear that you would be a victim of racism, especially in the manner that I provided the training environment to you. And you know for a fact that myself and the group of instructors, we may have been nasty, mean, spirited, or whatever, but it was never racially based or racially biased or motivated or anything. It was just basically toughening you up and getting you ready for whatever the world was about to throw at you. I 100%. And, and to be honest with, with you, Mike, in any of my training environments, so whether it was my recruit course, spending time in Borden at the administration logistics school, whether it was uh, with the battle school doing my JLC or in St. Jean doing my uh, intermediate leadership program, I've never faced or never had to deal with any sort of racism. I can really count on one finger. I can count the number of people that I had to deal with that did exhibit some sort of racism towards me, which is not, that doesn't mean, those two individuals don't represent the entire Canadian forces. And I learned to understand that and accept that. And I don't, there's no fault of anyone that I've trained with or worked for that had exhibited any sort of racism towards me. But sadly, it does exist. And just like, just like any other organization in the world, you have good people and you have not so good people. And sometimes you have the displeasure of working with some of those not so nice people. And you just got to make do and, and push through it and make sure that you're again doing what you have to do and what's expected of you and nothing more. Right. And then as far as you're revealing yourself, your true inner self to your comrades in the Royal Regiment of Canada, mm -hmm. well, I'm not going to, it's none of my business to name people without their permission. But I know that the Royal Regiment of Canada has had a culture of acceptance, not only culturally, but otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that would be a group where you could know that you could be welcome and accepted. And I'm sure that's true for many of the other units in the Canadian Forces as well. Mike, I agree with that 100%. Sometimes I think and sit back and think about what would life have been if I didn't join the Royals or if, what if I had joined Unit X or whatever the other unit is. I think things would have turned out maybe a bit differently. I'm not sure. But all I can say today is that I'm glad that I made the decisions that I did over the last 22 years to get me where I am. And I wouldn't do anything differently. 100% I would not do any different, anything differently. Well, Ali, we've come to the end of the four questions. What are you up to now? Mike, I mean, in my, I still work full-time down at the Armory with the Royal Region of Canada, down at Fort York Armory. We're just in the process of standing to after a very, very busy summer, so we're just leading into a brand new training year. My secondary duty as the officer in charge of Fort York Armory keeps me equally as busy because we have a lot of renovations, upgrades to infrastructure going on at the Armory. And simultaneously, I'm working on two projects for the Armory. One is revamping our weapons vault, getting new racks, new lockers, and a new layout that's more efficient and more relevant to 2016, because the, the equipment that we have in there is from the 1980s, early 90s, and nothing's really changed over time. Right. And the second priority that I have in the Armory is getting a, a PA system. So something that seems so small is used by over a thousand people in the building, and I think that'll make a difference in terms of quality of parades and whatnot, dinners, other events that we have in the building. And, and I think for me, that'll be a good legacy project to leave in the armories is a, is a brand new arsenal for the next 20, 25, 30 years and a PA system that everyone's going to enjoy for the next 15, 20 years kind of thing. Right. Now, I'd like to give you an opportunity to summarize your episode. So talking about yourself is always hard. I'm thankful for what I've 
done and the trust that's been placed in me by the chain of command to do the things that I've done. It's been a very, very rewarding 22-year career, and I look forward to the challenges that come over the next few years. Simultaneously thinking about thinking about life after the Army, and those are things that one needs to deal with at this stage in their career, and that's something I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing over the next little while as well. Excellent. So, Ali, during your reminiscing, you talked about building relationships, and I know for a fact that I have benefited from having a work relationship with you from our earliest days on your recruit basic training through our time at CFRC together and our time as neighbors on the parade square at Fort York Armory presentation of colors and beyond during my tenure as the brigade sergeant major of 32 Canadian Brigade Group. I know that when I planned the garrison warrant officers and sergeants dinner, the first person I thought of was you to help me in assisting in getting our catering done, getting the table set up, and arranging a reception area. And I'm sure that the mess of the warrant officers and sergeants of the Royal Regiment of Canada didn't mind that you and I had built that relationship previously (laughs) because they got to benefit from the cash over the bar, which is always a good thing. So I know that I've always appreciated my work relationship with you and We haven't really formed a personal relationship outside of the uniform, but if ever there's a chance, I'm sure that would happen quite easily. I agree wholeheartedly, Mike. I agree wholeheartedly. Thanks for doing the show. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at mikelacroixcmhp at gmail.com or leave a comment on the Facebook page. While you're waiting for the next episode, please visit the webpage at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the Canadian Military History Podcast Facebook page. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. All views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily represent the views of the Government of Canada, the Department of National Defence, or Mike Lacroix Productions. All recordings are copyright Mike Lacroix Productions. This is a Mike Lacroix Production. <laughs>